Let's get right to our next guest. He's an eager beaver. He's already on the line. You know him from the station. You hear him at noon, whether it's Canuck Central, as you heard him throughout the playoff run in the last few months, or as we transition now to Football Central, uh, as that's the the only big game in town. We got the World Series. That's going to be wrapping up in the next few days. And if you're a local NFL fan, uh, and you if you're a Seahawks fan, you're certainly excited about their start, but a, a ton of storylines around the league as well. Let's bring him in now. It's Bick Nazar. He joins us on air, Sportsnet 650. Uh, what's up, Bick? How you doing? Uh, I, I definitely could have waited. It's all good. It's all good. I could have waited. It's, uh, but I, I, I'm glad you brought me in right away. <laughs> Don't want to waste the, your time. We know that, that you're a busy man. We appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Uh, it is, you know, this kind of weird time in sports, uh, been a weird time in, in, in society and life for the last few months. But here we are in the middle of, a, of an NHL offseason. Uh, as we head to the end of October, uh, we've got some reports now about the NHL season, when that might kick off. Uh, the Canucks seem to be you know, mostly quiet. Uh, they still have some moves to make when you just look at, at the roster itself. It'd be hard to believe that they, they, they would come back with this exact group put in place. Uh, what, what are your reads on, on where the Canucks are at? And, and, and if you had to prioritize uh, the, the biggest uh, change that, that still needs to be made on this roster, what would it be? It's still the back end. I, I know there's a emotional loss to, to losing Troy Stetcher from the fan base, but the, the actual on-ice product has not been replaced at all. That's the concerning part to me. It's As much as you want to give guys like Rogan Rafferty a chance, Jalen Chatfield a chance, the Canucks aren't in a spot where they should be taking steps back. They've confirmed that they can be a playoff team now. And, and they can have success in the playoffs. It, it's all about constant progression, especially in, when you're in the beginning stages of, of Elias Patterson and Quinn Hughes. You've got to make constant progress. And Nate Schmidt's obviously incredible progress, but you can't have this black hole on the on your third pairing and have it sink what could be a, a successful another successful playoff run. They've got to at some point address that. But look, the, the economic realities of all this are so tough to get over. Uh, I, I'm curious if once we find out more about what the return to play looks like, if then owners across the league will get a bit more active and proactive and wanting right. to spend. If they if they have an understanding of what the 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 fan rollout looks like if by halfway through the season, okay, we're going to get 50% capacity and we will get full capacity by playoffs when the money really matters. And yep. then can you invest another half a million more in January and February? Uh, we should mention, Bick, that uh, I've, the buyout window for the Canucks has opened. There is nobody on, on waivers today. Um, as sort of expected and from what I've been told, the Canucks are not going to buy out Brandon Sutter. Um one of the reasons why they, they feel that they need that penalty-killing role on their team. They don't have a lot of depth there, uh, but I think that's worth mentioning. Just a quick thought. We touched on it on the opening headlines, but just your thoughts on the Jake Rutan and the two-year deal that Jake got this week. Well, yeah, the, the, the contract itself is fine. I, I'd be surprised if anyone's got an issue with the contract itself. It's really just about where we are with the the status of the player in itself, right? And whenever he gets mentioned, the the pro J crowd's always going to look at, well, you can't get rid of him because of 
Cam Neely and Todd Bertuzzi? What if he becomes that? The, the thing I've always argued is those players in their rookie seasons or by their you know age 21 seasons had already shown to be fairly good players. It's unfortunate teams gave up on them, but they put up enough points that it was worth the investment to make. We haven't seen that from Jake. Now, if you want to argue opportunity, whatever it is, he's had ample opportunity in, in previous iterations of the Canucks to jump up the lineup. That's the conversation. And, and I'm at a stage where I say it's time to cash in on the asset. I, I think he's a he, he's obviously an NHL player, but does somebody else want to take on the responsibility of trying to extract the potential? And I'm at the stage where if, if I'm the Vancouver Canucks, I wouldn't want to do that. The contract in itself is fine, though. Okay, but now the opportunity where it's 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 a pretty specific one, right? It's uh, and I mean this has been talked about a lot already, but okay, he's going to get an opportunity, he's being paid in a certain price range where there comes some expectations for productions, but it's not like he's a malleable fit for anybody. The odds that he ends up on a line with Bo Horvat are quite small, and so the fit seems to be playing with Elias Pettersson, probably with JT Miller. What are reasonable expectations, in your view, if he gets a sustained opportunity to to play with those two guys, and what impact would that have on the on the the group as a whole? It's funny that you mentioned. Okay, what line should he go on? Uh, and uh, to me, the logical one is, or what's best for him is probably to play with Lee's Pedersen and JT Miller. That's what's best for anyone. Is he going to be Brock Besser for that opportunity though? I, I I'm not convinced about that. And then it's all these issues kind of go together. It's, if you play them with Bo Horvat, okay, well, Jake Vertanen and Tanner Pearson as your wingers on a potential matchup line that Horvat gets used as, that's not something I'm looking forward to. And and all these issues collide with each other of, well, Adam that's not a play-driving defensive center. And it just goes to that the Canucks are missing just like one more player. So it's great that Jake Vertanen is getting that opportunity, but it, it feels unearned to me. The opportunity has presented itself from a lack of action from the Canucks to problem solve and have enough depth to say, hey, it's one thing to win the job. It's another thing to we can't provide enough depth that by default you're going to compete for the spot. Another and, Canucks note quickly. Oh, sorry, Beck. Go ahead. No, no, no. Sorry. Go ahead. I was done. Uh We've talked about it before where you had been saying that Quinn Hughes should probably play with Tyler Myers. You would supercharge that pairing. That's something that uh, over the course of time, obviously understanding that in games, there's going to be some changes, some adjustments, some injuries. That's what you uh, had in mind. Then the Canucks go out, they get Nate Schmidt, who is uh, even more of an impactful offensive player at five on five than Myers. With that move, what's your what's your play on on who should play with Hughes? Understanding obviously that still the, the season is is still a ways away, and, yeah. and that there could still be some moves made. I'm still putting together Hughes and Myers just because I feel like that also puts Tyler Myers in the best position possible. Uh, I, I'm not going to deny that he doesn't have defensive warts at times, but if you put him with Quinn Hughes, you just create more offensive opportunities and less time in your own zone. Nate Schmidt's a capable defender. And putting him with Alex Edler to me feels like a natural fit. And it gets away from that classic of, oh, I need one of my pairings to be a matchup role. Both pairings in that in this scenario here can be very responsible defensively. And, and, and that's how I view it. Can you be can you create a more aggressive top four? And Myers and Edler at times to me can be a bit passive. 
Bick, one of the things that uh, Izzy and I were chatting about a couple of weeks ago was the sort of the cap pressure that certain teams were feeling. And the two teams that we looked at specifically were Vegas and, and Tampa Bay. And this was prior to the Nate Schmidt deal that that came out. One of the things I felt was that those teams were in a really difficult spot and the Canucks might be able to sort of take advantage of them. Uh, I, I think we all agree that they probably did with the Nate Schmidt deal. Uh, yeah. I mean, you're not getting Nate Schmidt a year ago for a third round pick. But you you look at Tampa and they still have Eric Cernak and Mikhail Sergachev who are RFAs and um, they've got Anthony Sorelli up front who's an RFA. They need to lose you know a bunch of money off the cap to be able to re-sign some of those players. Do you you know this this was my one criticism with well not my one but one of the criticisms with the Jake signing is it lost sort of the flexibility the Canucks had to sort of be there to grab sort of falling assets from other teams. Do you think the Canucks still have the ability to do that? Um, do they have the ability to shed some salary or are they effectively done at this point until we get close to the season? I, I just think they're done. It's not by anything of what you're talking about, right? And and I've spent hours of looking of opportunities and, and every every show on the station, every media member in the city is, has written down ideas and, and we've poured over, hey, what about this thought of, of how to shed money? And, and what about this idea? I, I just don't think there's a willingness from 30 other NHL teams to want to take on money right now. And it, it's not for a lack of trying from the Vancouver Canucks. It, it's just, what are you supposed to do when there's when 30 other teams are saying, hey, look, I would do this, but my owner can't take on another $4 million. And we keep coming up with these ideas. And I, I like, I think you're right, Alex. Like, there is an opportunity to capitalize on what Tampa Bay, their situation is. But if if you're Vancouver and also your owner is unwilling to say, hey, I, I can't take on $4 million. I, I Why would I do that right now? It's I, I, I don't know what the solution is here. And these are the parameters of the cap, and, and you've got almost so much wiggle room, all of that. But now you you put in, thanks to this pandemic, internal cap. As much as we spend time talking about all these great ideas, and it's great conversational fodder, and it, it keeps fans engaged and all that sort of stuff, I just don't think that these are actual real demands we can place on 31 general managers to expect that they can make these moves. Bick Nazar with us on air, Sportsnet 650. You can hear him on the station throughout the week, noon to one, whether it's Canucks Central or right now transitioning to Football Central. Let's let's talk NFL. Let's talk Seahawks, Bick. They're 5-0. and They're uh, coming off a bye week, and they're slipping right into their third Sunday night football game of the year, uh, which I love because I, I love those games. I love that broadcast and uh, the circumstances of them getting this one are, are, are COVID related, but uh, mm-hmm. I'm not going to complain about that. They're five and zero. the offense has been incredible. Russell Wilson is getting all that MVP hype again, outside of Russell Wilson and just the explosiveness of that passing game, which has been when he's been allowed the opportunity to do so uh, pretty consistent over the last couple of years. What's what's the major story when it comes to the Seahawks outside of Russ? Oh, it's got to be the guy he's, he's throwing to then. It's got to be DK Metcalf. Uh, it, it's He became kind of a, a meme, I guess, in the pre-draft process of, Oh, look at his, his three-cone drill, testing his agility. And immediately it was – and look, I was guilty of this. It was assumed he was going to be a bust. And I, 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 he's got obvious traits. And I think the lesson from it is if you are special at someone, at, at something, you can find a role in any sport. 
and, and I, I, just cycling back to something for a second, like the the reason I cape for Tyler Myers as much as I do is he's very good at skating with the puck and managing with the puck and making passes. And someone like Troy Stecher might be a better overall hockey player, but the one thing is like Tyler Myers is special at a couple of things. Troy Stecher is good at a lot of things. And I look at this DK Metcalf is okay. He can't do everything, but man, can he do a couple of things really, really well. And when he does them and he's, he's put into an offense that's perfect for what he can do. That's the best version of putting players in position to succeed and accentuating what they can do well. And his is, let me get downfield. I'm bigger. I'm faster than everyone. And in contested moments when the ball is in the air and coming towards me and we're battling, 5, 10, 190-pound DBs aren't going to be able to fight with him. And he creates separation late and he wins contested battles and he just pulls away from people. He's become into, into the conversation of one of the three most dominant receivers in the NFL. He was always going to be physically strong, but now we're talking about physical dominance matching statistical production. And it's it's something that like I'm trying to think of the last like high profile Seahawks wide receiver that there's been. Like Doug Baldwin was fantastic, but he never got national love. Joey Galloway is is, is that the one? Like did you have to go all the back to Largent? Probably. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if this is it has been a thing for Seahawks fans. Sportsnet 650's Bick Nazar joining us on air with Israel Fair and Alex Blair. Vic, the Seahawks are one of three teams that remain undefeated. Uh, when you look at them, what would give you pause at their ability to have a prolonged playoff run uh, or if we can even look ahead to a Super Bowl? What's the part of their team that concerns you the most? Uh, it is the pass rush. Uh, they the, the, the most concerning part is not just that it's been bad. It's that they are this explosive offense that can play with leads. And when you have leads... It, that's pass rushing opportunities. Guys get to pin their ears back and go after the quarterback. We've not seen this team successfully get after the quarterback without Jamal Adams, who's a safety. And there's been injuries, don't get me wrong, and and they've started a bit slow, especially in that Minnesota game. They, they just didn't look like they were firing off the ball. That's improved recently. But th- there's just a lack of talent on that uh, defensive line. I was, we were talking about this with uh, on Football Central with myself and Jamie Dodd yesterday. They're physical. The, the, the front the defensive line for the Seahawks is physical, and they can reset the line and, and try to crumble the pocket a bit. But as far as having good technique to try to get past offensive linemen, they don't really have that. So they play with a lot of power. They play with effort. But there's just not a lot of you know technique or craft to their to, to, to try to get sacks and when you look at the the past of guys like cliff averill and mike bennett they they were just start, such smart pass rushers which I, I don't think we see that with this iteration of the seahawks defensive line right now Bick Nazar is the host of Football Central, uh, 12 to 1 on Sportsnet 650. Uh, he is joined by Katie Caldwell all week this upcoming week, mm-hmm. Monday through Friday, uh, which should be great. Um, all right, let's shift Bick to uh, around the NFL. Um, curious your thoughts. We've got, you know, the divide in, in New England. So we've got Tom Brady now in Tampa. They're 4 and 2. And Belichick and sort of the Brady-less New England Patriots are 2 and 3. Um 
give me your reflection through sort of six weeks about how both both player and team have done since the divide. Well, Tom Brady had like full credit to him. Uh, he chose an offense and he chose a team that was going to like that team's got so much talent they can kind of, for a lack of a better term, insulate him. That even when he might be playing poorly and he's thrown pick sixes this year, he's thrown interceptions he can still overcome. You couldn't have done that in New England. The margin of error with the talent in New England is so much thinner than with Tampa Bay that he can have a bad game, but you see what that defensive front was doing. You see what the, that whole defense actually, to be honest, how, how they're playing right now, they, they can mask up for it. And that offensive line is doing a good job for Ronald Jones, who's never really had any success in the NFL. Now, if you look at some underlying metrics, he, you could make the case he's the number one running back in the NFL right now. So from that point of view, Tom Brady's done well in his decision to go to Tampa Bay, and he is thriving in it. New England, I still got a lot of hope for this team. I, I think I have them coming to the season at nine wins. Uh, what's curious, or what, I, what I'm curious about now is, now that we've got five games of tape on them, how will teams start to defend Cam Newton? Because the defense is for New England is always going to be a certain baseline. They're always going to be top 12. They're always going to be functional. Can they be number one or you know cause all these turnovers like they did the last two years? The, I, I'm never concerned about the defense, but it's the offense that can they generate enough big plays? That's what the NFL is now. Can you stop big plays? Can you generate big plays? How are they going to generate big plays outside of just Cam Newton running the ball? Bick, when you look at, uh, I mean, we had the the marquee matchup last weekend with the Packers in the Bucks. That game started mm-hmm. where it looked like the Packers were going to run away with it. <laughs> then two very kind of uncharacteristic drives from Aaron Rodgers. The game turned. The Bucks were able to to grab that. You look at the, the NFC East over or the NFC overall. The NFC East is about as bad a division as we've seen. Mm-hmm. It like it, that division right now makes the NFC West of the late uh, 2000s look like a juggernaut. Uh, it's it's comical on the field. It's comical in terms of um, in terms of the standings. It's going to get worse with the injury to Dak Prescott in Dallas. So with one division without. Uh, any sort of clear-cut favorite or juggernaut-type team. Uh, the Packers and the Bucks, having just played each other. The Seahawks in in the division that looks still to be the toughest in the sport, uh, but the 49ers have had a lot of injuries and, and some some tough losses already to this point. Who are the top three teams in that, in that conference to you? I, I honestly think it's just top two. I think it's Seahawks and the Bucks. I, I think Green Bay is super talented. Uh, and, and they'll hang around, but we've seen this from Green Bay f- before. And I think last week just confirmed something for me with, with Green Bay and, and perhaps specifically Aaron Rodgers. Kind of soft. It, 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 certain teams that they will always blow out, like this weekend versus the Texans, I think they'll blow them out. But when, when you play bully ball versus the Packers, they kind of crumble. Every single time, they just kind of crumble. We've seen this against the... The 49ers the past couple of years, if you, if you want to even go back a few years when you think of Seahawks-Packers games uh, in in pivotal moments like the playoffs, in, in moments of peril, that team has crumbled. And I just as we as we progress through the season, you know, players get more tired and, and worn down. That Tampa team, 
plays with a lot of physicality. The Seahawks play with a lot of physicality. They can refine some of it, but they still play with a lot of physicality. You don't see that with Green Bay. They get pushed around by some of the bully teams in the NFL. I'd love to see Green Bay play like the Baltimore Ravens or something like that and and watch the the disparity between those two teams. I, I just look at it and I think, Right now, the two best teams in the NFC are the Seahawks, the Buccaneers, the Packers. Yeah, sure, they're probably the third best team by default because I'm not even sure who the fourth best team in this conference is. Maybe it's the Rams. Like, it's, it's definitely not anyone from the NFC East, right? You can just write off a whole division, basically. Yep. So I, like, I think the Rams are the fourth best team. Maybe the 49ers, like the Bears, they're kind of doing it with some smoke and mirrors. Actually, I would love to see a Packers-Bears game. I know they're going to play, obviously, at some point because of – the divisional rival, but the Bears are are lucky to have their record, but they also play very consistent, sound defensive football. They're very good at tackling, and, and, and they just – Akeem Hicks, you're going to see him on Monday night. He's going to beast. Uh, that's a guy I would love to watch against this Packers team to, to really confirm how I believe of this Packers that push come to shove, come playoff time, you're going to have to go through the bully, and I don't think they'll survive. And, and so, so that's why I always just come back to the Seahawks and the Bucks are the two best teams in the NFC. And I think they'll meet in the NFC championship at some point. Seahawks getting into the divisional part of their schedule. They've got Arizona on Sunday. Then they've got a game against the Niners. Uh, then there's a trip to Buffalo, a team that came out of the gates hot, have uh, lost a couple since then. Rams and then Cardinals again. And then it's a, it's a great portion of the schedule with at Philadelphia, home to the Giants, uh, two NFC East teams. Versus the New York Jets, who have their own category of being a complete disaster. And then at Washington, another team from that uh, amazing NFC East team. So if, if, the Seahawks, uh, if the Seahawks get through a couple of these games against their division, uh, they, they're going to be far and away, uh, from a record perspective anyway, uh, in that mix. And, and probably ahead of the Buccaneers. But it'll be, it'll be interesting to watch uh, that evolution in Tampa especially that second half against Green Bay was, was pretty impressive and adding Antonio Brown's only going to make that uh, even more intriguing. Uh, thanks a lot, Vic, for the time, man. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Anytime, guys. Sounded great.